Hello there, welcome to the 10th episode of the Scoreboard Podcast with Marshall and Ola. Well, while we were planning on starting this podcast, a lot of things ran through my mind. My busy schedule, the fact that we are not in the same place and a whole lot of things. But it is the 10th episode and um, you see, starting a podcast is very easy and uh, everyone seems to have an idea of uh, starting a podcast. Keeping a podcast going is another thing. I actually even read a research that by the seventh episode, most podcasts cease production. And now we are here in the 10th episode. I think it's a feat that we should really talk about. I mean, creating great content week in week out although we've defaulted on several occasions and um, you see once you publish the first episode keeping it going is a thing and the fact that we are here in the 10th episode means a lot to not just me i'm sure it means a lot to Masha who joins me yeah hello, hello. nice to have you on the other side and of course it is a big pleasure it's not really something that is very very easy you know you have to talk about something and because this podcast is very different from other podcasts it is not reactionary you know so we don't really talk about you know the match that is about to happen most of the time or match that is just concluded so you know you have to be kind of creative with your topics you have to bring up new things every sunday it can be quite a task but so far so good i mean 10th episode and everything is looking all good looking all fine and one of the things i would also love to talk about is that it's it's really been fun you know talking about things that you know you always want to talk about but then you don't really hear people talk about it and there are some just little pieces of information that people don't really know existed and then when they hear you talk about it they're like oh wow that's actually something really cool so that's one of the little things i just love about uh, this podcast of ours all right just like creating very very different topics every week is difficult i think even getting people to listen to can be a lot of task but i think we just have to shout out to those who have been listening to this podcast since we started and uh we really just have to say shout out to you guys for keeping faith with us week in week out now let's dive straight into today's conversation and it's about these football awards that are beginning to sound like popular contest that are beginning to sound like okay whatever happens you don't really need to put much on the pitch or even if you put a lot into your game you might not necessarily be judged based on what you are putting in but based on maybe how popular you are or how your PR machines, how they work. And that leads us to what we'll be talking about on this episode of the podcast, which is about football awards. Of course, I talked about it earlier, especially we look at what comes into play. Is it really that the person receiving the award is good, PR, or just the team you are playing, or just because of the person you are. Marshall, let's lay background for this conversation before we talk about the other things. Uh, yeah, the funny thing about Ballon d'Or is that Ballon d'Or was supposed to be uh, awarded to the best player in the world, you know, and historically, it has always taken on greater consideration when they look at the year in view, which it always is supposed to be. But then, you know, as the year became seasons it no longer became about your year 
and then it became more about previous season so what you did from january to december was now regarded lighter than what you did from august to may because august to may was the main season and you know the balloon off for the present year like for this year it will end on the 24th of october and I mean, the season is just three months in. People have not really solidified their places either at top of their leagues or with their performances. Of course, some players are doing very, very well for themselves. But most of the time, what comes into the balance of your conversation is from August of the previous year to May, which is really not supposed to be. It's supposed to be from October to October. And another thing is that historically, you know, before things became more convoluted, before things became more synchronized, and you started to have this general feel for who would win the Ballon d'Or, once you had a stunning performance, either on the run to Champions League, on the run to a World Cup, you know, things that were not just for you alone, like your league title, performances in the Champions League, in the World Cup, at times also in the European Championships, you'd often become favorites for this award, especially if it's in the tournament year and if it's not the tournament year they look at what you did in the champions league and that's why before the messi ronaldo era basically from 2007 up until about 1995 it was kind of a, a trend where those who won the ballon d'or were either best player on the teams that had just won the champions league or that had just won the major tournament of the year whether it was the world cup whether it was the european championships at times too it could be uh, the copa america and so you know 07 was kaka also it was ronaldinho and on and on and on because of the way he was voted but then when ronaldo and messi came into play they were so good they were so consistent that people found out that every year they would always come in every year they would always come in they were the two best players by far and away you know ahead of their rivals and if you're judging if you're giving an award for the best player in the year definitely the two best players have to be in the top three so on and on we know it's going to be the either messi or ronaldo but then who are we going to give so at times it would just be okay who won the champions league between messi and ronaldo and then you get the person who won the champions league or who scored more goals who won more trophies you know those really things that we didn't really count on but then because of the different styles of messi and ronaldo because of the different clubs they play for because of the different schools of thought on who the best player is who the greatest player is factions began to emerge and i, I honestly wish we had this kind of factions earlier because the factions have now emerged where it is now difficult to even give awards for players who were actually very good awarded did because they were lacking something so now for instance in 2012 i know messi won just the copa de Rey, but he scored 91 goals in all competitions so he was clearly the best player when it comes to the goals and number of games he helped his team influence but then he didn't win the league i mean Cristiano ronaldo's Real Madrid won the league with a record margin of 100 points Scott, his team had 100 points. He got to the semi-finals of the Champions League, where he lost out on penalties to Bayern Munich. And Barca also got to the Champions League, where they lost out in semi-finals to Chelsea, where the eventual winners. And then Barca won the Copa del Rey. Now, ideally, in, the, in today's world, if you won only the Copa del Rey, you'd be seen as second to the person who won just the Champions League and probably the European Championship. Like, certain player in England is currently viewed as, you know. And that is what's changed, because it's changed from the fundamentals of who is the best player on the best team to who has won the most things over the calendar year and that was why i was very very happy with the awards of 2020 because it was clear to literally everybody that for the year on that review 
Robert Lewandowski was the best player by any stretch of the imagination, by any means, no matter how you want to view it, Robert Lewandowski was certainly the best player. And honestly, I feel like the last time we had a year without that kind of controversy was probably 2017, when Ronaldo won the Champions League. He won the La Liga, scored wonderful goals, led his team on this procession through the Champions League, basically. And then by 2018, when everyone was thinking he would repeat, you know, he went to Juventus and the rest is history. Look at Modric won that Ballon d'Or. By 2019, Lionel Messi won the La Liga, got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. He lost in the finals of the Copa del Rey. And then there was this huge PR machine that was building up for Virgil van Dijk at the time. And everyone was thinking, hold on, Van Dijk actually win this award, you know. But then Leonardo Messi won it. And then the question shifted very quickly from, okay, so what then is the criteria? Are you saying a defender cannot win it? Are you saying, you know, those things just started to change with the advent of Messi and Ronaldo. And now I feel like, you know, it's like a Pandora's box that when you open it, you can never get enough of it. You you would always find something new, something different, something that you didn't plan for, something you didn't bargain for. And that's why, as soon as Chelsea won the Champions League, all of a sudden everyone was thinking, or everyone was shouting, N'Golo Kante has to win the Ballon d'Or. And I was asking myself, what exactly has N'Golo Kante done from October 2020 till that point where you'd say, oh, he was the best player in the world. He was the best player that helped this team win this thing. And, you know, it's it's so confusing because as of January 2021, Chelsea, the fans, the board, everyone was thinking we have to sell N'Golo Kante. So it was it was a sharp contrast from winning the Champions League and then moving on to Kante. And then all they needed was France to have a good tournament. And then they would just continue to push that uh, agenda even further. But then Jorginho, who is also in Chelsea's midfield, got to the finals of the European Championships. He won it. And then all of a sudden, the discussion shifted from Kante being the Ballon d'Or winner to Jorginho being the Ballon d'Or winner for doing what? Really almost nothing that you can actively quantify as worth of being the best player in world football. And that is what the Ballon d'Or has now become today. You know, who has the best agenda? Who has the best story? Which position do we need to reward for having been snubbed? when Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo were dominating all the awards. Because there are several years where a midfielder could have won it, or a defender could have won it, but then these guys were just too good that it, it would feel like an injustice if neither of them did not win it. And that is what it has been. I mean, if Luka Modric never won the Ballon d'Or in 2018, if Ronaldo won it, as a lot of people expected, it would have been about 13 years straight of Ronaldo and Messi winning that from 2008 to 2019 or 12 years. That in itself is mind-boggling. So the question now is, when do we used to judge the Ballon d'Or winners? Oh, did he win the Champions League? Yes. Was it the best player on his team? Mm, no, we don't care. Did he win the Champions League? Yes. Did he win the European Championships? Or did he win the World Cup? Yes. Was it the best player on that team? Mm, no, we really don't care. But he won the Champions League and he won the European Champions League. All right, then let's let's start to push it. And that is basically what it has just become now. Now, you, you reached a lot of salient points. You talked about Messi winning the Ballon d'Or with just winning the Copa del Rey, but scoring 91 goals uh, for that calendar year. Now, looking at everything that you just mentioned now, I know it is almost impossible to be a very good player. I mean, when I say very good player, you're a very good player, but you have no trophy to show for it at the end of the day. Would you still be considered in this present age or it is just PR and inshallah? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think it's it's something that is really feasible. 
but it's very very difficult especially in the era that we are firstly because the players themselves they know that there are some who are better than they are and so they really do not want to push themselves for that award but then there are some players who feel like uh I, I really can be in that conversation. So I, I just need to win something and get it done. But there are some other players who feel I'm just good at what I do, but I don't really need to win something. I might have a bad luck. My team might have a bad run of form. I might get injured. I think it's it's common knowledge that if Robert Lewandowski did not get injured last year, they might have won that Champions League again because that's the kind of quality that is present not only in that Bayern team, but the kind of otherworldly level that Robert Lewandowski has been on since the start of the previous season, that's the 2019-2020 season. So that's what he has been doing. So he won only the Bundesliga last year, but then what he did in the Bundesliga was stunning. I mean, Gerard Muller's record of 40 goals has stood for 50 years. He set it in 1971 and Robert Lewandowski has just broken that record in the bundesliga you only play 34 games 34 games let Ellis sink in robert Lewandowski played only 29 games 29 league games and he scored 41 goals it's it's very 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 difficult regardless of where you're playing to score 41 goals in 29 league games so it means that if if he was fit for the entirety of the season or 34 games he could have hit 50 and that's no main fit at all but then are we going to say that oh because he only won the bundesliga last year we really are not going to talk about him being the best player in the world that he has been or are we going to say oh that was 2020 this is 2021 he was the best player in 2020 he has been the best player so far in 2021 and it's not even close i mean Robert Lewandowski became the first player to win 19 straight games in the champions league 19 straight games he has not drawn a game he has played in since the start of the 2019 2020 campaign this is the 2021 2022 campaign it's it's crazy that's that's what Robert Lewandowski has done let's come to Jorginho, you just talked about Jorginho right now. I think all of this madness started that season when the duopoly of Messi and Ronaldo, when it was broken. And right now we see all manners of persons coming out and oiling the PR machines to see that they just win eventually. Now you just mentioned Jorginho. I can say it with my chest and anywhere that Jorginho is not the best player right there at Chelsea. You can you can you can tell anybody you can take it to the bank. But how is it that we have allowed PR and popularity to rob the actual best players of this gong? Now that that's a that's a very very sincere question and it's really mind-boggling that we have allowed PR and we have allowed agenda to rob the real best players and another time too when you look at competitions isolated competitions just like the international competitions and that's one argument people always put up for the world cup that it shouldn't really get the the hype that it is getting that okay the world cup is just one month and you you claim it is the biggest prize in football yeah the whole world is participating but it's still one month now I feel, just like you said, a very brilliant run in just a competition should not really be what we use in judging if a player is the best in the world or not. And when I say competition, I'm very, very particular about international competitions now. If a player who has had a bad season has or had a very good run in that tournament, he begins to get a shout to be the best player in the world or whichever the case may be. Now, should this really be the situation, talking about international tournaments now and not at the normal club football tournaments, the Champions League and probably the league, which spans months? 
So basically, the, the thing about these major tournaments is that, especially in the early stages of world football, when the Ballon d'Or became a thing, they were the only tournaments that used to be televised worldwide, and they were the only tournaments that used to be seen as the benchmark for for quality because then the Champions League was just about eight teams and then the leagues everybody won their leagues so there was really nothing you could use to decide which player and which player was good which player was not good because everyone won their leagues everyone scored goals in their leagues and then the Champions League was not this good but then with the advent of more and more technology especially two things televising of football in nearly all the levels, that's Champions League, League, World Cup, European Championships, what have you. And then social media. It has now popularized things and people we didn't know before. So those days, heading into the World Cup, there were players you didn't know. So you are going to the World Cup to see players. It's, it's like going for a pilgrimage, you know? You didn't were really unsure who you were going to see, what you were going to see, how it was going to look like. So whichever player, so it's, it's like a melting pot of talent. So whichever player emerges as the best in that particular World Cup definitely has to be the best in the world because every other person in that World Cup who was also doing very well would have won their leagues, you know, would have done well for themselves on a personal basis, but wouldn't have this competition where we would put everyone against each other and test their qualities. So that was how the championships, the European championships and uh, the World Cup became this huge decider because yes, you have won your league and if you have done well in your league, you get called up for these things. So if we see how you replicate your league form or the form you showed in the Champions League into this one, then we can judge how good you are. But then when these things started becoming broadcast more and more, we started shifting focus from just the World Cup to the Champions League too. Because just like the World Cup, the Champions League is for people that have won their league or that have done well in their league. And instead of waiting for a four-year mark or a four-year stretch to see who was the best player in this particular year, the Champions League offered that alternative because it is the same thing. And in this case, you play with your club teammates. So unlike the World Cup where you play with your national teammates who you've not played with in about a month or about two months, these are players you play with and live with day in, day out. So it's easier, quote-unquote now, to replicate your league form into the next season in the Champions League with your own teammates and all of that. So the quality of the Champions League began to rise with more teams being added so we had more opportunities for people to show their qualities we had more opportunities for teams to show what they could do and players started to take advantage of it started to show their qualities started to reserve their best football for the Champions League night in honor of the bright lights and the famous Champions League songs and then people started to look at the Champions League from this prism of oh it's actually a very very good tournament we can readily state or say who the best player is from the Champions League winning sides. And that was why, like I said earlier, it then became a thing of Champions League and the World Cup as the main judge, as the main uh, qualifier. So if you won the Champions League and you're the best player in the Champions League winning sides, you become one of the favorites for the Ballon d'Or. If it's not a major tournament here, like the World Cup or European Championships, then the question is who else has a strong resume? Okay, they look at league form, still scored more goals in the league, who had more impacts, on their teams winning in the league. You won the Champions League and then you won the league too. It almost became a lock that you're going to win the Ballon d'Or, especially if you're the best player on both sides for your team. So 
that was kind of clear and easy. But then, like I said, with the Messi and Ronaldo era, factions began to emerge. And the reason why factions began to emerge was because every year you had to pick one or the other. So unlike previous years where 2007, you didn't have to stress that, oh, how did Ronaldinho perform this year? How did Samuel Leto perform this year? How did Frank Lampard perform this year? We just knew it was Kaka. He had just won the Champions League, stormed his way through everyone, you know, defeating people with AST. So he was the best player in the year. In 2006, he was clearly Ronaldinho. And that was how it was with every year it was just kind of easy to know who was the best player in the world. He had won the Champions League. He had won the, the World Cup. In 2005, Ronaldinho won it. You know, and on and on and on. And it became just so easy to know who would win. Either from what they had done for their club side, for what they had done for their country, who was the best player on that, uh, on that winning team. And that was how it was. But because... It shifted very quickly when Messi and Ronaldo became the uber heavyweights, where they were the ones that always won in every year. It was now difficult to put club performances and country performances above agenda. Because if I voted for Messi last year as the best player in the world, the next year, if Ronaldo has a better year, but I love the way Messi plays. And they, both of them made it so difficult to actually even choose because they were always putting up gaudy numbers. So, Whichever side of the divide you fell on, you could be you could be rest assured in thinking, well, I voted for who I thought was the best. Because they would always put up gold numbers every year. I mean, 50 goals became the new 30 with Ronaldo and Messi. So people people now had to choose who they loved stylistically or who they felt had a stronger year. So but then there were years where it was just out of the question. 2008 was the start of the rivalry. Ronaldo had won the league, he had won the Champions League, scoring for two goals. He was clearly the better player. By 2009, Messi won the treble. I mean, he was the best player in Europe. And entering 2010, Ronaldo had gone to La Liga. He had now gone head-to-head -head with Lionel Messi in the same league. They were going for the same things. Yeah, he scored some goals and he suffered an injury towards the uh, later stages of the 29-2010 season. You know, he was out for a while. Messi won the league. Messi won the cup. Inter won the Champions League. But then, because of the fact that everyone started to look at Messi and Ronaldo in a different light, the way their teams were playing, nobody seemed to remember that. Uh, we also use the World Cup these days for the best player award, you know. It just became an afterthought. And that was why a lot of people till date still see it as a massive, massive injustice. That Wesley Snyder didn't win that 2010 Ballon d'Or. If it was in the mid-2000s or if it was in the late, early to late 90s, Wesley Snyder would have won the Ballon d'Or for 2010 because he, he justified or satisfied nearly every criteria. He won the treble, fine. He was not the best player on that treble winning team. He was not the best player on the treble winning team. It was an agglomeration of efforts, but the fact that he replicated it... Diego Milito was doing pretty well too at, at that period. Too, yeah, so exactly. You know, Diego Milito, uh, Samuel Eto, yeah. you know, the team had a sturdy defense too, you know. But then the fact that he was able to replicate it for his national team, you know, getting to the finals of the World Cup, losing in excruciating fashion to the Spaniards, scoring five goals, which was the same number of goals as the Golden Boat winner, you know, showed that he was no fluke. He should have won it. And that was why it was very important to know that when it was just the national team coaches and captains, because the way they used to do it before FIFA and Ballon d'Or split up was that a Ballon d'Or would bring journalists to vote. Then FIFA would bring national teams and coaches to vote. When it was just the journalists that voted, 
Wesley Snyder was atop the Ballon d'Or rankings. But when the national team's captains and coaches were asked to vote, Messi overwhelmingly won that award despite underperforming at the 2010 World Cup. And it's not because he was not good enough, it's not because he, he didn't have a stomach of a year but because by 2010 the world has started to change from just using uh the performances in the champions league and the world cup to judge you to this guy is just something we have never seen this guy is doing things we have not seen on a different level and by 2011 when messi won it for the third time in a row it just became even harder to not give him the ballon d'or for 2012 just because he had done what was previously considered undoable i mean nobody had ever scored that many goals in a year you know how do you explain scoring 50 league goals 73 goals in all competition i mean strikers go two years scoring 70 goals averaging 35 goals for two seasons and even to date we still see it as a stormer of a season you know two seasons now that is but then he did it in one year you know so that was just so otherworldly that people failed to realize hold on there was a european championships this year there were league titles this year there were champions league titles this year and it just did not come into consideration and that was when agenda really started to become a thing agenda really really started to become a thing by 2013 ronaldo also did the same thing because 2013 ronaldo was trophyless he didn't win the league he didn't win the cup you know in the champions league he was the goal he, was, he didn't win the golden boot he was not the highest goal scorer and at that point frank ribery had won the treble with Bayern Munich. He had won the league, he had won the Champions League, he had won the cup. And everyone was thinking, oh, Frank Ribéry would win it. But then, towards the end of the deadline for voters, it was increased by two weeks. And that two weeks was a blessing in disguise for Cristiano Ronaldo because that was when his team faced Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Sweden, in a shootout for the World Cup. And what happened next was just something that was legendary. I mean, Ronaldo took his team to Stockholm, you know, it was tied one apiece. Himself and Zlatan had got both goals in Portugal. They got to Stockholm. Zlatan had scored a brace. Ronaldo had scored one. Zlatan was leading two goals to one. And then Ronaldo came through in the clutch, scored two late goals, sent Portugal to the World Cup. And that swayed a lot of voters in his favor. It swayed a lot, a lot of voters. A lot of voters because they were stuck between giving, because they had not given Ronaldo the the Ballon d'Or for a lot of good things that he has done. So, so it was it was a classic case of Ronaldo being rewarded, you know, for what he had done in the years before. You know, in 2011 he had won the Copa de Rey, he had won the Golden Boot, he had won the European Golden Shoe. In 2012, Messi had won it. You know, he had he had won the the league title. He had scored 60 goals. You know, decided the Clasicos, won the league with record-breaking 100 points, and was asking. I remember this interview he had with a really really huge uh, sports outlet at the time, and the question he was asking was, when I scored goals and didn't win trophies, they said you have to win trophies. When I won trophies and they scored goals, they said you have to score more goals. And I asked what again. I asked what again can I do? That was that was classic Ronaldo back then because Ronaldo was even till now is still someone who had that chip on his shoulder because he discovered he was not getting the kind of talk that he felt he deserved. You know, so 2013 was really the year where everything just split in his favor. The voting deadline was extended. He won. Uh, that year's Ballon d'Or and it became an obsession you know that he had to just win more and that was how the agenda just continued to you know push on and move on up to where it is now all right i'd like to talk about the injustice to other positions 
I mean, talk about the goalkeepers, talk about the defenders, and some midfielders too, who really don't have the sexy statistics to back up what they have done so far in the year. I'm talking in terms of goals and assists now. They really don't have all of that. And it's a lot of injustice to these guys when they are sharing the awards at the end of the year. And that brings me to Edward Mendy. Khalidou Koulibaly said he should have been considered Thomas Tuchel also feels the same way that for everything he's done at Chelsea, although it's a brief stint, but should have been given a shout to even that Ballon d'Or list that was released recently. Well, um, for other positions getting the award, it has never really been a thing. You know, historically, we've had just one goalkeeper win the award, Levy Ashin. We've had more defenders and midfielders win the award, but you know, when when it comes to what exactly do we live for? We live for goals. When football, you live for the But goal. the rest, they are footballers yes. too. The rest are footballers too. Uh, defenders' yeah. lives matter. The goalkeepers, they, they, their lives matter too. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, they are, they are footballers too, but it's just like, it's just like a hierarchy where the work of one person is seen as higher than the work of another person. That's why the fact that they might be doing the same work, but then in that team, there's an hierarchy. And that's why when a team's goalkeeper is the best player, the team is seen as having a lot of fundamental issues. Because if you're, if the goalkeepers of both sides are equally matched and they refuse to concede goals, then it's going to be a goalless draw. But if both goalkeepers are good, and an attack is better than the other, they could win by one goal to nothing. If both keepers are bad and the attack is good, then it becomes a high-scoring game, you know? There's really no uh, marker where you say, okay, this is what I want, this is how I want it to be. But then, like I said, historically, the players who, in nearly any sport, you know, team sports, there's always that position that gets all the gold, that gets all the glory, because what they do requires considerably more efforts. How many teams can decide to be gung-ho? How many teams can decide we don't want to be a solid defensive team, we want to be we want to be an offensive arsenal, we want to be an offensive machine? It's, it's harder for a small team to gain prominence by being a dogged defensive side than being an offensive machine. Think about, think about that for a second. If a small team meets a big team, the small team just packs the boss because they feel that's what we can do to limit these guys. They don't say, we just go out gung ho and try to outscore them because that is a lot harder to do. You know, it's easier to lock something than it is to pick that lock. You know, you have to be ingenuous. You know, I can just decide and say, if I'm holding on to something, I don't want to give it out. It's easier to do than someone who is trying to pry it out of my hand, unless, of course, the person is a lot stronger than I am, you know, and then they just force it out of my hands, which is what most of these big teams do anyway when they meet the small teams. There's not the fact that these teams are defending for all their lives. They still end up considering four, end up considering five. You know, it's not because they're not good, but because these attacks are just too overpowering and overwhelming. And that is why goalkeepers, for all of their good work, I mean, a goalkeeper can have 14 saves and still concede. An attacker needs just one shot to go. Just one shot. You know, so the odds are always in the attacker's favor. And the thing is, you can miss two big chances in a game, still end up with a brace, and your team wins 2-0, 2-1, who knows? You know, because their job is, is just so... The odds are so stacked in their favor because of how difficult it is to score goals. It is very, very difficult to score goals. Ask ask any striker, ask any manager. They tell you how difficult it is to score goals. That's what 
every manager plans for. You know, how do we score goals? Okay, we can shout out the opponents. How do we score goals? How do we score goals of our own to win games? That's why other positions are not really getting the praise. And that's why you see, when you see midfielders that really do things on both ends of the pitch, it's it's hugely rewarding, you know. And since the start of the, I think, 2016-17 season, we've seen a lot more midfielders, you know, getting the goals. You know, midfielders like Paul Pogba, you know, like Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne, because they've realized that, okay, look, I can I can also do things when it comes to the goals scoring front. You know, I can assist goals consistently, and that is where midfielders start to uh, distinguish themselves. You know, midfielders now score goals, and because of the rise of analytics too, we can judge what midfielders are doing. You know, the chances they are creating, the key passes they are making, assists they are giving, their retention, their ball control. The way they are shielding their team from losing the ball, no matter what position of the field they are in. You know, these are things that we can decide to see or not see. But then, you know, when you watch a game, yeah, the goal, the goal scorer gets all the praise. But there are times when you leave a game and you're like, man, that midfielder was just on a different plane today. It's not because the midfielder didn't do well. Or it's not because the attacker didn't do well. But it's because you're more impressed by the midfielder. You know, and there are seasons where midfielders have won the awards. So at times they get their flowers, but it is often a sign that the team is unhealthy, especially when it comes to goalkeeping and defense. But then with more and more agenda now, we're seeing that some of these positions are also getting their due. Let's move away from this. Let's talk about the season, um, the East, the West, and uh, what we should be expecting at the end of the season. And when you look at the East, basically, uh, East has been really it's really improved in recent years thanks to uh, some guys right there the likes of Giannis Atetokounmpo's and we're really looking at new challengers to uh, Atlanta Hawks for instance they beat the 76ers and the New York Knicks to uh, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year uh, but let's talk about the West is uh, really hard to predict it looks like the most competitive from top to bottom the depth of quality in the West outweighs that of the East and uh, uh, are we going to be seeing that again happen this season where uh, we just see a team from the West again do it against the odds uh, just because Milwaukee Bucks might be seen as an oddity uh, from what it did last year. What are we expecting from the guys this started West this time around? Yeah, I think it's something that we could see happen, especially with the continuous increase in quality that is uh, always out West. And for, for a while now, the West has been the stronger side, but then the East is not is not going slow. The East has increased a lot, you know, not only in the quality, but also in the number of teams that are showing themselves as legit contenders. I mean, you rightly mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks, we have the Brooklyn Nets, you have the Philadelphia 76ers, you have the Boston Celtics. I mean, these are not teams that are uh, to be sniffed at. And you look at the West, in the Western Conference, of course, you have the Lakers, you have the Clippers, you have the Golden State Warriors. And you look around and think, okay, which which team in the West is actually going to defeat the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks? You know, those two teams, I think, on paper, are the best teams in the league right now. And they're out East. So maybe the, the balance of power has changed a little. Maybe the, the West is still more competitive than the East. But the best teams in the league, I think, are out East. And that's why this season would actually be one that is very, very interesting. You know, on the lookout for everything that's going to happen, not only uh, in the, the league uh, finishing, but 
but in in everywhere like you have to look at teams that could really really make a shot in the playoffs teams that could have a deep run teams that could really set themselves up for uh, continued success and that that's what the nba is about you know having teams not only show their quality but also you know grow like last season for instance the atlanta hawks got to the conference finals and they, they, they were looking at some point like they really really took down the milwaukee box and of course that eventually ended in, in a 4-2 win for the uh, the milwaukee box but the truth is that the, the, the Hawks give themselves a huge, huge shout. And, you know, this season, they've also continued uh, from where they've stopped. And Golden State last season did not make the playoffs, but this season, they've gone to the two LA teams. They've won both games, you know, at Lakers, at Clippers. And they are slowly uh, slowly showing themselves as one of the teams to be feared. You know, And that's even without the return of Clay Thompson yet. So, as it is now, these teams know what they're doing. And, you know, different agendas are started setting. You know, there was the, uh, the whole NBA at 75 thing, where the league released the name of 75 best players to have ever played in the NBA, you know. So, of course, it would always cause furor amongst fans, the media, coaching, players themselves. Because everyone feels like, uh, I've done a lot to be on that short list. I've done a lot to be among the 75 best players to have ever played the game, you know? So it can be it can be quite quite difficult. But the truth is that it is what it is. I mean you, you cannot you cannot always have it both ways. And like you'd always say whenever there's an award, I mean someone has to feel short changed. You know, no no voting is perfect, no awards is perfect. And uh, that's just uh, the way it is. And it would also be quite interesting to know that we have a lot of players coming in on fire this season. Tyler Hero is one of them for the Miami Heat. He started the season on fire and he has continued. I mean, from preseason even, he has started on fire. And for the Los Angeles Lakers... Yeah, it should, it should really Los- be getting a shot for the sixth man uh, of the year at the end of the season. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, he is within it. He's with the shouts of being uh, awarded the sixth man of the year. Of course, this is still new, two games in, but I mean, if you're watching the Miami Heat right now, you'd be entertained at what you're seeing. And it's due to, you know, small part what is happening uh, right there and we can also not mention the work that is going on in los angeles lakers it's not been good i mean it's it's been a bad a bad one i, I cannot even uh, deny that but the truth is that at some point you expect them to figure it out that's what happened with lebron's big three teams you know miami cleveland you know initially they had to get a while to understand themselves their mannerisms how they play where they want the ball how they want it you know the positions on the floor they like to get the ball you know but with more understanding of themselves i feel they would they would get that good in and i just hope that they're able to get everything sorted easily because if they don't they could really really get themselves into a rut especially uh around the western conference all right let's talk about the new kids on the block with a particular reference to Jalen green and kate cunningham we should really look out for them this new season too uh, Kate Cunningham has not played this season yet because he's suffering an injury. But almost all of the rookies that have been in the league are, are balling right now. Evan Mobley in Cleveland, he's been balling, flat out balling. You know, Jalen Suggs right there in Orlando has also been balling, you know. And it's just, it's just a matter of what exactly is going on in the league. That, you know, you're having players, more and more players coming into the league, more formed, you know, better suited for. Uh, the current game, you know, it's it's really been difficult to have rookies before now, you know, they come in and then they have to adjust, they 
they have this initial settling and period, you know, taking problems. But more and more, we're seeing more players coming to the league and they're ready, you know, taking on the league from the very first day. You know, and that's what we've really been seeing are going on uh, with the rookies. A lot of them, like I said, are balling. And we just hope it continues. And once Kate returns, he would definitely uh, add to that uh, status for the team. You know, like we saw last year, Lamelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, who both went here to help at Rookie of the Year. This season, they've also resumed from where they stopped. And their sophomore seasons has also started quite well for them. So we just hope that the rookies also continue uh, where they stopped continue what they've been doing basically i think we just have to draw the curtains on this week's episode of the podcast the scoreboard podcast comes your way every week with just unique content like this and i hope you've enjoyed this episode try as much as possible to just share with your friends and let them enjoy what you enjoy too marshall has been at the other end analyzing on this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Alalua. And it was a pleasure being on this episode with you. Tenth episode of this Cobalt podcast. I mean, it's been really 10 good episodes. And like I always say, I hope the listeners enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoy talking about it. I'll return again next week for a brand new episode of the podcast. Like I said, don't enjoy this alone. Share with your friends so they too can enjoy what you're enjoying. Until the next time, my name is Olao Lua. Thank you very much for listening. Do enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm.